Welcome to the Fod Eater Fod Pass. <laughs> what is up, everybody? It is Froth here, Thought Eater Podcast, Thought Eater Blog. Hope you're doing well. As always, I really appreciate you listening to the show, and welcome again. A week has gone by, so we're back around again to the Hump Day Bloggerama show. This is a weekly show where I kind of take you on a guided stroll around the RPG blogosphere, show you some stuff that caught my eye over the week and discuss it here on the podcast, and then I put up all the links in order over at the Thought Eater blog for you to check out. You can just Google Thought Eater blog or go to frothsofdnd.blogspot.com. I know I always say it's a huge show, but this time I really mean it. I had trouble whittling stuff down, so I've got a ton of stuff to get to. And I know it's going to take me some some hours to do it. But I don't care. I'm happy to do it. You know why? Because when I got back into role-playing games after a hiatus, the blogs is what really helped connect me to people, helped remind me of products that I'd forgotten, showed me new ones, Give me a bunch of free stuff to download, a bunch of new ideas. The blogs was really a lifeline, a lifesaver. Uh, you know, the blogs are part of the reason why I'm still here. So I want to support bloggers, and that is what we're going to be doing today. But before we get to all that, I've got a number of call-ins to get to. So we're going to get started on these. Most of them have to do with last week's Hump Day Bloggerama show, but first I got something special for you. Uh, on Friday, I did a Willie the Wizard show. If you don't know what that is, kind of uh, sporadically, my daughter and I will do these really short, really absurd, silly little skits based around characters from our home campaign of D&D, featuring my daughter's character, Elizabeth the Fighter, and an NPC companion of hers, Willie the Wizard, who is elderly, hard of hearing. Uh, and so it's just, like I say, just kind of some absurd skits. We did want the first one in a while on Friday, and I got a call in about that that's pretty special. Hey, Froth, it's Liren from Updates from the Middle of Nowhere. I listened to the latest Willie the Wizard with my granddaughter, and she has a comment. We were both getting a laugh out of it, so I wanted to let you know. Thanks for another great episode. Hey, Liren and Liren's granddaughter, this is Willie the Wizard himself, and I wanted to tell you thank you so much. I'm glad you enjoy the show. Now, it took me about 40 times to uh, to understand what you were actually saying in the message, but once I got it, I was so thrilled that you enjoyed it. And uh, something special, Froth is telling me to let you know that this Friday, Froth is going to have constipation. No, Willie, that's not what I said. I said compilation. I'm thinking of doing a compilation of all the Willie the Wizards so people can find them, listen to them real easily instead of them being all spread out. But I didn't say anything about constipation. That's what I said, constipation. Froth will have constipation for you all on Friday. No, Willie, compilation. Constipation. Compilation. Constipation. Oh, Willie, now I see what Elizabeth goes through. Oh. Anyway, Liren, thank you so much for the message. Just ignore Willie. Bye. Hey, Froth, Spencer here. 
I just wanted to thank you for the great work that you do on the Hump Day Bloggerama, um, and especially finding all those alien resources. Uh, superb work. Um, like you, I do have a lot of time for uh, what should we call them, the lesser alien films. And um, if there's anyone out there who's got real problems with Prometheus, I urge you to seek out the fan edit uh, called The Gift Bearer, which really addresses some of the apparent problems with that film. And I I think it's something of a masterpiece. So, uh, yeah, just a tip for you. Spencer, a.k.a. Free Thrall there from the Keep Off the Borderlands podcast. And Spencer, I am thrilled that you enjoy the hump day. It is my pleasure doing it. I'm glad you like it. And uh, I love Prometheus too. I do think it's a classic as well. And I, I like the ambiguous nature that, of things where a lot of people seem to, to criticize that. I, I liked letting my imagination run with the fiction a little bit and everything. And uh, I just thought it was great. Um, I've been trying to search around for this gift bearer thing you talked about. It's been taken down everywhere. I'm finding, you know, breadcrumbs about it. I have been able to read a description of, of what the person did with it, but I'll, I'll find it. One thing I did see at first, I thought it might be something I had seen, which was a splicing together of the original alien and Prometheus turned them both black and white. And it kind of alternates scenes like it's two storylines going on and it strangely, strangely works. It was really, really awesome and creative, obviously highly illegal, but, but creative nonetheless. So anyway, I'll keep looking around the old internet for that, but I appreciate the call in. Thank you very much. Hey, Froth Jason here, Nerds RPG Variety Cast. It was great to hear Willie again, and I hope you do some more call-ins for GMs to answer questions, whether it's repeating other topics or other topics. I really enjoy those kind of shows. So take it easy. Bye. Sorry, Maddie wanted to say bye to you, too. You want to say bye, Maddie? Say bye. I think that's all you're going to get. That's Jason there from Nerds RPG Variety Cast and Maddie, and uh, I wouldn't want to, you know, break into your house, man. So <laughs> anyway, I appreciate the positive feedback. I love the those call-in shows too, and, and it's all, always awesome when you and other anchorites, um, when someone reaches out to folks to to participate and people jump in, it makes shows better. So um, yeah, if if, if if folks hadn't listened to uh, some of the last podcasts I've done were all about unpopular D&D opinions, and I snuck like a part three up on Sunday, Revenge of the Unpopular D&D Opinions. So it had a had a couple more little tidbits, some other unpopular things for me. I, I like playing humans pretty exclusively, and uh, I had some other stuff. So I got a couple quick call-ins about the unpopular D&D opinion stuff that I'm going to play right now. Hey, Josh Beckelheimer here. Um, and you know, I also tend to usually be a human. And not only that, I tend to only be things like fighters, barbarians, rogues, things that don't necessarily have magic. Because I like to roleplay the aspect of in a world full of monsters and demi-races that I think it's more rewarding for a human 
to do things that a dwarf does in 600 years in just only 50 years. I think in a world full of monsters, it's got to be much harder for a human to live and survive rather than an elf and a dwarf and all these other crazy races out there. So that's how I feel. It's, I personally think that my character accomplishes a lot more as a human than as if he was at any other race. Hey, this is James over at Crumbling Keep, and I was listening to your episode where you were talking about how you enjoyed the different mechanics of older editions of D&D. Sometimes you had to roll high, sometimes you had to roll low. So I started playing during second edition, and it felt more like this, like, shoddy chases that you just, like, kind of bolted on whatever you wanted to use to it. It was like a crowded workbench where you just kind of had to shift through the pieces and be like, oh, yeah, I like this. Because not all the rule sets and all the supplements worked with all the other rule sets. And then 5th edition is very clean. They're very careful. Nothing really contradicts each other. Everything works with each other. Which is cool in a lot of ways. But I miss that ability to kind of like work with messy mechanics. And it just seemed more... You had to homebrew, right? And I think it's because you had to homebrew, you were more likely to. And I'm a fan of messy mechanics and plan to make more in the future. All right, so you heard there from Josh Beckelheimer from JB Publishing, also um, JB Publishing um, podcast here on Anchor, as well as James Crane from crumblingkeep.com. And that has got a blog, they've got a podcast over there, as well as a Twitch stream. So great to hear from both y'all. Thank you very much for listening. And uh, Josh, yeah, I hadn't even you know contemplated the the mortality aspect of it, but I like that too. Um, all that, all that, you know, just being a human lets me get into role-playing a human, I guess. It's harder for me to be like, oh, I'm a dragonborn now, you know, <laughs> but for, for other, I mean, it's, I, I, I called it an, an unpopular opinion because I know for other people it, it's, you know, they're like human. That's the last thing I'd play, you know? So, um, to each their own. I just, uh, it's just, Something I've always been drawn to to playing mechanically and otherwise. And James, yeah, it, it is the grab bag of classic D and D mechanics is is unique. It seems like in game. I mean, I guess maybe there's some other old school games that that have all these kind of tacked on things that that feel about that way. But maybe nothing quite like D and D. And it's. I guess, you know, as I'd mentioned on the previous podcast, if you didn't grow up with it and everything, and then you come to it, you know, if I came to it now, you know, middle-aged and looked at it and it was like a brand new game or something, I'd be just, you know, maybe I wouldn't even like it. (laughs) I don't know. Uh, But when you grow up with it, it's all this esoteric, you know, the DMG and, and these weird ways of doing things and ways that some things are kept away from the players and, kind of these secretive methods of, 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 of all these different kind of, um, uh, mecha- you know, it's just, um, once it's in your blood, you know, you love it, but, but on paper, I, I wouldn't blame someone for thinking it's a mess. And that actually ties in really well to these next couple of calls from uh, regarding last week's hump day, because at the end of last week's hump day show, we're talking about useless complexity, and it was based around a blog post that uh, someone had posted. I, I should open that up. 
Um, who was it? I want to give people credit. It was a blog post over at Method Set Madness. Uh, blogspot.com and it was about you know how how hard to you know how the layout and everything of the 5e books can be really really difficult and everything um, and you know I, I agreed with that but then Rob C called in and reminded me of something that uh, I wasn't thinking about let's listen to that hey froth it's Rob from down and heap just chiming in on the portion of the blogorama where you were talking about the methods and madness article on useless complexity in 5e as you well know i'm no defender of 5e and i think you're likely correct in pointing out that most or a good portion of the people that play 5e probably don't know much else and have grown accustomed to that so whether or not they are would agree that it's useless complexity or not, I think is in doubt. And to be honest, if you look back at AD&D, I think there's a boatload of useless complexity in that too that we became accustomed to and is in large part why I kind of went back to BX as a simpler solution. One of the things I did in my heartbreaker was take a portion of what I thought was the good part or the useful part of 5e, that being the unified mechanic idea, and basically retrofitting that onto a BX chassis so you don't have all the, what I see as useless stuff, the uh, endless minutiae for class options and feats and all that, that you have in 5e and the enormous monster stat blocks, but you take the portion that makes more sense, at least especially to new players, and just works more fluidly at the table, the unified mechanic, and bolt that onto the older edition, and it worked pretty well. Hmm. Thanks. Rob C. from the Down in a Heat podcast, and Rob... Such good stuff. I'm thinking here I am talking about, you know, the layout and how hard it is to find stuff and run stuff with, with 5e and, and, and how it doesn't work well for, for a GM at the table in this. But then my favorite book of all time is the first edition DMG. (laughs) What the heck am I talking about? Has there ever been a more, you know, inscrutable, confusing book in the history of RPGs than Gary Gygax's first edition DMG. And I love It's my favorite. So I kind of, you know, I did muse during that segment that, that, that for people that started on five E, you know, they don't know the difference and they, they like it and they maybe look at something else and they, you know, that's, they don't get it or maybe, you know, and it's the same for me. I was raised on the first edition to me, I love it. And to other people, they look at it. It's a confusing mess that you can't, you know, that sometimes contradicts itself, uh, that it's hard to find things in there. A lot of the rules don't make sense. It's confusing, you know, so, you know, who am I to talk? <laughs> I mean, yeah, five E's layouts and, and adventures do leave something to be desired, but they're a hell of a lot <laughs> 
they have a lot more clarity than first edition DMG. And that's my favorite book of all time. So what am I even talking about? Uh, good stuff, Rob. And, uh, Josh Beckelheimer actually called in on this subject too. when we were talking about a little bit about curse of Strahd. Hey, Jeremy, Josh Beckelheimer here. Um, whenever I look at curse of Strahd, it just seems so overwhelming. It's like they have this wonderful area, but it's like this gigantic open world. And it's like, here you go. Good luck with putting the pieces together. And I just could not run that at all. I wouldn't even know where to begin. But I recently purchased the recent module or adventure, the Baldur's Gate Descent into Avernus. And that one's pretty straightforward. Like I'm reading through it. It's like A, B, C, D. I mean, just follow what it says. And, and I understand that might sound railroady, but at the same time, you purchase an adventure, that's what you're going to play. I, so I don't understand the whole people complaining about an adventure being too railroady. Hey, thanks again for calling in, Josh. And yeah, you know, I hear different things from... Everybody's different, and I hear different things from different GMs. And some people really when they buy a module, they want something that is clearly laid out and it goes point to point and they're totally fine with it. In fact, with my Savage Worlds game that I'm running now, um, I, I'm using part of what I'm using is this plot point campaign. It goes point to point, tells you exactly what happens, call it a railroad, call it whatever, but it was perfect for me in that game. So I'm not trying to run this sandbox. I'm trying to run a shorter campaign and know where everything's going to go and, play it, have fun and be done with it and not just, you know, roam the world for forever, you know? So it, um, so I can absolutely see how for some people, you know, like I said, everybody's different. Some people like to buy a module that is like a campaign starter, open world can go anywhere. Other people like a sharper focus where they can wrap their minds around it. I mean, the thing with curse of Strahd is, I liked that it was an open kind of sandboxy, you know, it has its limits. You're limited by the mists and everything, the Ravenloft mists, but I liked that the players could go wherever they wanted, but then that quickly turns into a lot more work because the, the, the sites, the adventuring sites in that book are complex enough to where you can't really just run them on the fly. So it puts you in the position where you're having to read a 200 plus page book or at least you know, skim it pretty well, you know, to, to run it, um, to run it really effectively, to be at your best at it, you know, with it. But really the biggest problems with that book was not, you know, was not the open world nature of it or, or, or the amount of preparation that went into it. The biggest problems were once it got into each individual chapter and each individual area, those sections just could have been a lot they were poorly organized. So instead of a few bullet points or some helpful, you know, uh, summaries or something at the beginning of those, it was all just kind of spread out really conversationally, almost like you're reading a book, you know, like a novel or something instead of being a tool for the GM. And so that's, that's what hurt it the most for me, that and the way they did Mordenkainen and, and uh, just a few other, you know, bits of the the flavor and everything. And uh, it had all these DM NPC helper characters and all, all this kind of stuff that, that I, that I didn't en enjoy or, or, you know, just ended up cutting out. But 
But you bring up an interesting point there about different people's expectations for, you know, for what an, what a good adventure should be. Some people want it loose. Some people want a tighter focus. And, um, but I think at the end of the day, everybody would like it to be set up in a way that facilitates easy reference at the table when you're running it. So thanks again for that. We've got one more call in. Hey, Jeremy, it's Rudy from RPG Retrofit. Uh, I really hope you do get um, to pick up Shadow of the Demon Lord. It's a great system. And I, I, I bought that adventure a while back also, um, the one that you mentioned. And I'm, I, th- I think it's the same one. A lot of the names are kind of similar. Um, but if I remember right, it's a, a sort of Night of the Living Dead, but set in a tavern. Um, but that, that system is really good. Uh, you can play a whole campaign like in 11 sessions. I love the initiative. The combat initiative is great. It's super fast, um, but there's still like uh, you still have a lot of choice. Um, it's a it's a great game for for if I was if going for like a sort of a traditional five uh, E sort of vibe, but a lot more streamlined and quicker. Um, I, I I love. Uh, I totally suggest Shadow of the Demon Lord. So I hope you get to check it out. All right, thanks. That's Rudy there from the recently launched RPG Retrofit podcast. You can check out now all over the, you know, all over the place based out of Anchor, but you know, Anchor will shoot our podcast out to Apple and everywhere else. So thank you for the call in. And yeah, I've always been a fan of Robert Schwab's writing. They were my favorite author working, you know, on stuff for fourth edition D and D. And, um, so that's one that's, it's, we've talked about it on here before. And, uh, my thing was, it's been out for a few years, but the price hadn't dropped. And I try to, you know, I spend a fortune, (laughs) spend way too much on RPGs, but I try to let some of the stuff, if it's not pressing, if it's not something I have to have right now, I try to let the price drop a little bit and the price is finally starting to come down a little bit. So yeah, I might gift that to myself, but uh, uh, now you've really got me wanting to play it. So thanks for that. All right. So that was a lot of calls, but I, you know, they make the show better. And I just want all y'all to know that you called in how much I appreciate y'all um, checking out the show and leaving messages. So, uh, thank you again for that. Last thing I've got under the intro for y'all. Whenever I see a new blogger, get a blog started up. I want to give them a shout out here. I, you know, obviously I miss a lot of them. I don't find them all, but when I do catch one, I want to make sure that I mention it. And I'm going to talk to y'all, let y'all know about a new one I spotted, the Neo York Chronicles. Neo, N-E-O, York Chronicles.blogspot.com. They've got four posts up so far, all in November of this year. And they're working on this cyberpunk setting of their own. So they're doing a setting of their cyberpunk game in New York City. And so they're, they've been building the setting and, and talking about the, the setting lore. They're working on a playlist over there for it uh, that includes some stuff from Joe Strummer and uh, Transvision Vamp. And, I, you know, that it sounds really cool. So uh, anyway, it's neoyorkchronicles.blogspot.com. And let's see if their name is listed. I don't have their name. Let me check the first post just in case. No, I don't have their name, but uh, whoever you are over at neoyorkchronicles.blogspot.com, welcome to the blogosphere. 
All right, so the first segment today, I'm just calling biggies. Biggies. Because there are a couple of huge new RPG products on the horizon coming out from folks who I really enjoy following, people who I really enjoy. And so I wanted to mention these just in case you've been living under an RPG rock or something and haven't heard about this stuff. Starting over with Chris McDowell, blogs over at bastionland.com. Chris is the designer of Into the Odd, which is a very well-regarded kind of pseudo-OSR game that's been out for a while. And now Chris has launched the Kickstarter for Electric Bastion Land, Deeper Into the Odd, which is going to expand on the Into the Odd rules, uh, expand a setting in there. The thing looks incredible. It's already funded, you know, like, you know, 400 times over or something like that. But as of this recording, I think it's still got another three weeks up there. Uh, so definitely something to check out, a unique, interesting product. And so I've got links up to Chris's announcement at the bastionland.com website, as well as a link to the Kickstarter. And then an extra special like bonus. Can't remember exactly where I saw this, but Yokai Gal is someone that I've followed on um social media since you know the g plus days and they have a um google document that i put a link up to called the into the odd syllabus that they maintain and it's got a bunch of links to different blog posts player guides character sheets people have made adventures that people have made hacks and setting stuff that people have made it's a huge huge list of all kinds of resources for the into the odd and so as Electric Bastion Land is, is in, you know, being kickstarted and, and uh, a lot of excitement is building, um, you can go ahead and, and start looking at some of this into the odd syllabus stuff that you might be able to use in your game. So, so check that out. The other thing I've got under biggies, whew, this is a big one. Jim Henson's Labyrinth, the adventure game. Ben Milton. Maze Rats, Nave, Questing Beast YouTube channel, questingblog.com. Big time. You know the classic movie, David Bowie, Jennifer Connelly. Dance Magic Dance. Remind me of the babe. What babe? Babe with the power. You know? You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> this thing looks incredible. And I know Ben... Uh, ben mentions they did, you know, the vast majority of, you know, a lot of the design on this, a lot of the, the artwork and stuff. It's got a great team uh, working with them on this, including Patrick Stewart, Jennifer Brozak, bunch of folks. And, you know, I'm just going to, I'm not, I'm no soothsayer, but I'm going to go ahead and just call this one. It's, it's a hit. I'm just going to go ahead and call this one for you. It's a hit. Looks fantastic. Will immediately be going on my shelf. Can't wait to grab this thing. And uh, it's funny, I, I've mentioned before, but I, I showed, it's probably, who knows, time flies by so fast now, but it may have been a year ago now, but I have a DVD with Labyrinth on one side and the original Dark Crystal on the other, shown to my daughter. One munch for Dark Crystal. Once they, the Skeksis start sucking the essence, you know? She didn't like that, but she liked Labyrinth. So anyway, this thing looks great. Uh, there's a video over at questingblog.com. 
Labyrinth Adventure Game Preview, taking a look at, at, at the game, and it looks fantastic. So congrats to both Ben and Chris on uh, on these, these products getting launched. Uh, they both look like they're going to do really well, so congratulations. The map segment of Hump Day Bloggerama is proudly brought to you by Frank Turfler, legendary anchorite of Frank T's Liner Notes. I've been back in Frank T's Patreon for a while. High quality, full color, world class battle maps, sci-fi, fantasy, and otherwise. Innovative print and paste terrain that brings your table to life. Multiple support tiers, including a commercial tier, which will allow you to use Frank T's creations in your own commercial projects. You can sample some of the quality of the work by looking for Frank's Free Map Friday posts. So whether you are a creator that is looking for some cartography for a new project, whether you are a GM gaming online or in person at the table, or you're just like Froth, a map junkie, and you can't get enough of this stuff, go right now to patreon.com forward slash Frank T and check it out. All right, let's get into the map stuff. I try to usually limit the maps to maybe like three a show and everything, but there was so much good stuff this week. I couldn't cut, I had already cut a few things, but uh, the map stuff this week is outrageous. It's awesome. I'm starting over at mapoftheweek.blogspot.com. I love this blog. It's Doug's blog. And they've got a post up 20-foot Japanese scroll map. They took a trip to the Osher Map Library in Maine, and they say among the many wonders they saw there was a 20-foot-long scroll map of Japan's Sito Inland Sea. And this is just rad. It's got, I put up an image of it rolled out, you know, it's a 20-foot-long map. They got, but go over and check out the, the blog, mapoftheweek.blogspot.com, because they've got you know images of it kind of rolled up, really nicely rolled up. Uh, other images of it, you know, to show the detail and everything. But, you know, somebody in the OSR somewhere is going to do one of these scroll maps soon, you know, if they see this. This should be inspiring to people. Because a scroll map like this that rolls up like a nice scroll would be killer. Absolutely killer. Now, 20 feet, I don't know about that. <laughs> you have to have a pretty big gaming room, but... But this, this scroll map is absolutely killer. So check out this 20-foot Japanese scroll map over at mapoftheweek.blogspot.com. Then I wanted to go over to dysonlogos.blog and congratulate Dyson. They put up a post. The commercial map collection hits 300. And this is just such a gift, I mean, that Dyson gives the gaming community. Being able to use these awesome maps... Uh, and commercial products. And, uh, I've just wanted, you know, putting this up just to say thank you to Dyson. Um, I love buying Dyson's, uh, map compilations and stuff that Dyson will do on Lulu. You know, you get them spiral bound. They're really, really cool. I love buying this stuff, but just for, for Dyson to put this stuff out, um, you know, as part of their Patreon, but to, to, to release them to, to everyone to use, uh, free in their commercial products and to have 300 maps up that just deserved a thank you so thank you very much dyson for that goblins henchman has called in on the show a few times and blogs over at goblinshenchman.wordpress.com i've mentioned before their hex flower game engines that they do which are kind of a cross between 
you know, hex maps and random generators. And they've got a new product out that you can download over at DriveThruRPG that is kind of giving an overview and what they've kind of learned having done these hex, hex flowers over the last uh, year or so. And so I put up a kind of an image of what you get, get in that document. And this is a really innovative and creative idea. Every time you think somebody, you know, that it's all been done, someone comes up with something like these hex flower game engines. So if you like random tables and you like hex maps, you might want to go and check this stuff out from Goblin's Henchman. And like I say, it's very creative, uh, very uh, creative and innovative. All right, so Monkey Blood, Glenn Seal. It's talking, but they put up a post over at monkeyblooddesign.co.uk, the rise of Rycroft. So it's going to be a, a another Kickstarter from them. Looks like launching early 2020. And they're putting up some artwork and imagery. And of course, what Glenn is perhaps best known for, cartography up about, we know this upcoming Rycroft project. And I put up a couple of images that are kind of like, one's like a town, you know, overview one is a um, one is like a battle map, but there's a few more maps at that link. There's one of the Rycroft, you know, entire area. Uh, there's another one of the catacombs beneath Rycroft that that reminds me sort of like a Judges Guild kind of thing, maybe you know, under the city state. Uh, but these maps look absolutely beautiful. They look incredible, as you might expect coming from Monkey Blood. So go check that out. The Rise of Rycroft, MonkeyBloodDesign.co.uk, and get ready for that Kickstarter to launch in 2020. All right, so Foot of the Mountain Adventures. I've mentioned them a few times. I really enjoy their work. And one of the cool things that they do, it's footofthemountainadventures.blogspot.com. In addition to um, you know making it making their maps publicly available and usable for commercial projects, they also do this cool thing on Twitter where they will... Um, uh, they call them roomscapes and they'll, they'll put up one of their maps and then folks on Twitter all jump in and stock it. And so they've got a new one up roomscape temple. And then in addition to that on the, on the blog post, it's got a link to their other roomscape threads. So it's a great way. If you want to just, you know, a quick adventure, you can go kind of scan through these, look at the maps and then folks on Twitter have already stocked them for you. So a cool ongoing series, the Roomscape series, over at footofthemountainadventures.blogspot.com. And then finally, I thought this was awesome, an awesome map. Uh, it's at heropress2.blogspot.com, Tim Knight's blog. Tim put up the map Black Spire Outpost from the Star Wars-themed you know, attraction at Disney Parks. And the map is killer. It's like an RPG map or something. And uh, the illustrations are great. Um, and so I, I love when you see these maps that are, you know, not ostensibly for RPGs, but that, that have that kind of flavor to them or can inspire you in a way that you'd like to see, you know, design a map or see a map design. And I love the layout of this. It is very, very cool. And the illustrations are great. So uh, check out the Star Wars Black Spire Outpost map over at heropress2.blogspot.com. And want to be sure to thank Frank Turfler for backing the map section, for sponsoring it here on the Hump Day Blogorama. If you have not checked out Frank's stuff at patreon.com forward slash Frank T, and you're into cartography, you're into papercraft stuff, um, you need to go and check it out. And uh, so go over patreon.com forward slash Frank T, and also check out Frank Turfler's 
uh, podcast here on Anchor, Frank T's Liner Notes. A bunch of reviews and retrospectives this week. Probably too many, but they were all cool, and I, I wanted to mention them all. So I won't spend too much time. I'll just breeze through them. But first, over at nzgeist.com, they're reviewing one of what I consider the best OSR products. I, in fact, when people say, what OSR products, supplements would you recommend or whatever, one of the first creator's names that come out of my mouth is Richard LeBlanc, New Big Dragon Games. Their D30 DMs Companion and D30 Sandbox Companion are about as good as it gets for OSR supplements, in my estimation. And the D30 DMs Companion is getting reviewed over here at nzguys.com. So, gets a great review. Not surprised at all. Very, very, you want to talk about utility. Uh, you want to talk about great layout and usefulness at the table. Really, you have a, you know, a, a rule book for backup and have the two D30 DM companions with you, you can just keep running. You know, you can run something for forever with those books uh, on the fly. And uh, once you get used to them, the books are really, really intuitive too. Plus you get to roll a D30, which is kind of the, you know, which is a plus, right? So check that out. The D30 DMs companion, if you've never seen that. And those are available on lulu.com. You wait around for free shipping, like I mentioned on five minute Friday, a little while ago, some of these free shipping coming around and things like that. You can get these really, really affordable last week. Uh, I guess it was last week or maybe two weeks ago. I was talking about cyberpunk red coming out. And I mentioned in passing at that time that I'd seen another cyberpunk RPG is the number one thing on drive through RPG. It turns out what that was, was carbon 2185, a cyberpunk RPG. Now this is built off of fifth edition. D and D. So no wonder it's popular. Cyberpunk 5e basically. And there's a long review of this over at cannibalhalflinggaming.com. Uh Aaron Marks over there does a great review of it. And this one looks really interesting. The artwork looks great. It looks like it's maybe the same people that did the artwork uh, for Legacy Life Amongst the Ruins, which is what world class artwork. So yeah, so very cool. Cyberpunk 5e, Carbon 2185. Check that out over at CannibalHalflingGaming.com. Pookie over at Reviews from Rulier put up a post, Risking the Old School Renaissance. This is at RulierReviews.blogspot.com. Talking about a game that was just recommended to me recently, Macchiato Monsters. Uh, Eric Neuden, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Probably I'm not. Uh, but put out by Paolo Greco's Lost Pages label, Macchiato Monsters. They describe it as like a mix between Black Hack and White Hack. And they give it a very positive review. They say that it's got, it's an OSR role-playing game, which uh, gives free for, freedom of character design, streamlined combat, freeform magic, with an emphasis upon risk and the use of resources. And uh, they also note that um, it uses the be it's a it uses the best elements of both the black hack and white hack, and um, you know it looks really great. And I you know and I had someone recommend it to me. I need to pick this one up. Is what I'm basically getting at. So if you want to learn more about Macchiato Monsters, that's at royerreviews.blogspot.com. Tim Brandon comes up a lot. Uh, frequent blogger. Blogs at theotherside.timsbrandon.com. They did a review of Mark Hunt's new Gangbusters BX edition. Now, Mark Hunt, I don't know the exact story of how they got the rights to Gangbusters and stuff, but they've been doing, uh, you know, Gangbusters 
um, like products for a while now, updated rule book and some supplements and stuff like that. Gangbusters being the classic era TSR, um, kind of gangsters prohibition sort of, uh, RPG. And now they, uh, Mark has made a BX edition of it. So porting the, you know, that flavor and setting and everything and technology level into, uh, you know, with, and using the BX mechanics. And so I've seen some buzz about this, people enjoying it and why not play a little gangster, little gangster action. I like it. Little untouchables, nitty, the enforcer died like a pig. Y'all have seen the untouchables, right? <laughs> anyway, it gets a really positive review. So gangbusters BX, if that sounds like something up your alley, you can read more over at the other side.timsbrannon.com. All right, so a few, you know, I don't talk much about board games on here, but I got a few uh, a few little board game things I want to mention because they all caught my eye and they all seemed really cool. And I'm starting over at Tabletop Bellhop, tabletopbellhop.com. This is Mo T's blog. I've talked about Mo uh, on the show several times. They did a great post called What Makes for a Good Licensed Board Game and 14 of the Best Licensed Board Games. Now, I know everybody growing up had to have had some licensed board games for different things, you know. Like, I know, TSR had a, a Dallas board game. <laughs> and, and if you think that's the, the strangest, they also had a, uh, what is it, um, uh, a soap opera one, too. Uh not, well, not as the world turns. God, I don't want to start this segment over. I keep wanting to say all in the family, but I know that's not that. It's not that. One well, general hospital. I'll remember it the second I stop. Uh, second I stop trying to remember it. But anyway, they did a you know a soap opera. Maybe it was as the world turns. I don't know. But anyway, you know, TSR even was doing a Dallas board game. Oh, all my children. That's it. <laughs> An all my children board game. Um, but anyway, you know, people try to cash in on something and throw a board game together out of it. You know, there's a thousand monopolies or whatever. But uh, this is a really good article about what makes them good and then also talking about what some of the best of them are. So so anyway, I know, I know you'll, if you're into board games, you'll want to check this out. And I mean, Mo has played everything. I mean, I, I, I dare you to think of a game and, and see if Mo, you know, that could be a, you know, a challenging game to try to come up with something that Mo hasn't played. <laughs> I've said before, Mo's forgotten more about gaming than I'll ever learn. So uh, they're very knowledgeable on the subject and, and, and fun to, to read. So check that out over at tabletopbellhop.com. And Tim Snyder blogs at the Savage Afterworld, savageafterworld.blogspot.com, heavily involved in um, Crypt World and uh, a bunch of other stuff. Uh, does these great creepy comic conversions that are you know made to look like old comic books for 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 Crypt World, which is a chill first edition and a retro clone. Anyway, they put up a review: uh, the Maquis Solo Board Game by Sideroom Games. Um, so you you are resisting the Nazis during World War II in a small French village. And what was cool about this is it's a solo board game, you know, uh, which I, I don't know. You know, I've talked about solo games on here, but I've never really played a solo board game. And the, I took put a picture up of the components, and they give it a really, really positive review. They, they say they really enjoyed it. So 
Um, that sounded just like something interesting, so I thought I'd share that. Maquise, a solo board game by Side Room Games. That's up at savageafterworld.blogspot.com. Speaking of TSR board games, at the Vintage RPG Tumblr, vintagerpg.tumblr.com, they put up some images of a couple of different board games and uh, put up by TSR. One, the Dragon Strike game with a, you know, this is one from that, you know, mid-80s era when when uh, VHS videos, videotapes were often included with board games. You know, this would be a portion you'd watch or whatever. So there's some images of this, the Dragon Strike game, some of the maps and minis and stuff that came with that, and a little overview of it. And they also did the Fantasy Forest game from TSR, and I put up an image of the map from that. And so that's another, uh, you know, TSR board game. Uh, that looks like, uh, yeah, early, uh, this, these images are from the original 1980 version. And then there was a later eight, 1983 version. So if you want to get a look at another couple of TSR board games, fantasy forest and, uh, dragon strike, you can check that out at vintage RPG.tumblr.com. Come on froth. You can do it. So finally on the reviews and retrospectives, Scott Malthouse over at the trollish Delver blog, trollishdelver.com. Did a daring post. D&D 4E, a daring triumph of design. Why do I call it daring? It's a very unpopular opinion. In fact, during my recent D&D unpopular opinion series, that was one of mine. You know, I, I don't mind 4E. Is it great? Is it my favorite? No. Does it have problems? Yeah. I mean, uh, as Scott puts it, uh, 4E was a system shock. It was plunging your head into a bucket of ice. And they mentioned a lot of things that a lot of people didn't like about it. But but they also mentioned uh, a lot of the good a, a, about it. And, you know, I was thinking about it, and this kind of comes up maybe later with the final topic, you know. I don't always, you know, I, I don't mind playing a powerful character from the get-go sometimes. I don't always want to play a two-hit point, you know, wizard that's going to get, you know, stub its toe and die. You know what I'm saying? And uh, I don't always want to play a super simple game. Sometimes I, I, I can handle a little complexity, you know. And, uh, you know, sometimes people will talk about, you know, you start off powerful and 4E and this, that, and the other. That, that to me, is not a problem. Um, you know, it's, it's a variety is the spice of life. So, uh, to, to me, all the additions have, have something to offer and, you know, give you some different playing experiences. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. And I think that a lot of people, looking back at what that time period was like and how some people reacted to a game, you know, I got the feeling some people probably, I don't know if they feel shamed, but everybody's entitled to their own opinion. But, you know, a lot of people were just really, really rude to people that liked it and you know insulting to people in fact sometimes when i think about it i think i feel bad for how i reacted to people that were being rude about it you know because i just throw it right back at them sometimes you know but anyway getting off the topic if you like 4e or even if you didn't like 4e this was an interesting essay about uh about what Scott thought about it. And I, I thought that it was really cool that they took the, you know, the perspective that it was a daring, you know, that it was a daring, uh, triumph of design. So check that out at trollishdelver.com. 
All right, rolling right along. Yes, rolling. Rolling on some random tables. I am starting the random tables this week over at the Goodberry Monthly blog. This is Martin O's blog. I've been featuring their work on the Under Galax Hall mega dungeon that they've been building. And they've got up this D100 table to be used with that. Or you could use it, you know, just in any game, you know, any anyone's game really. It's what's in the wizard's pockets. What's in that wizard's pockets? So this is a D100 table. So let's see here. What is in the wizard's pockets? Uh, compressed spare robes. That makes sense. Got some spare robes in their pockets. Tightly compressed. What else they got in their pockets? Uh, dried ramen noodles. <laughs> Awesome. So yeah, so you get the idea. It's a D100, great little table. Uh, this would be a good pickpocket table too if someone tries to pick a wizard's pockets. What's in the wizard's pockets at goodberrymonthly.blogspot.com. Next, I'm going over to check on K-Tray at the D4 Caltrips blog, blog.d4caltrips.com. K-Tray does these awesome D100 tables. Uh, they often have a PDF that you can download like I just did. And this one is called This Secret Door Opens dot dot dot. And they mention it's a relatively common conundrum. You've placed your concealed or secret doors in a lovingly designed dungeon, but may not have bothered to give much thought to how they're opened or operated other than, oh, there must be a lever, pressure plate, or button somewhere. So this is a table to help give you some inspiration for how these secret doors are opened. I thought that was a great idea for a random table because this happens all the time where it's just like, oh, um, yeah, you find this lever hidden or whatever. So some ways to open these secret doors that you found. Let's see. Uh, you have to carefully run a feather around it. Or perhaps you have to... Let's see. Insert five fingers in unnervingly inviting and spaced holes. Oof. That just reminded me of Flash Gordon, you know, where he has to stick his hand in the movie, where he has to stick his hand down on that tree thing. You don't want to have to do that. Go ahead, player. You know, no, you know you can unlock this door. You stick your fingers in those holes over there and you'll be fine. You know, just stick your five digits into that hole and just see what happens. You know? <laughs> Uh, you have to rotate the head of a nearby statue. These are great. I'm going to do one more. Ways to open secret doors here. Um, slide at least two electrum pieces worth of coins into a slot. So a hundred of these. Great stuff. K-Tray is really, really good at these random tables. So check that out. Blog.d4caltrips.com. D100 table. This secret door opens. Dot, dot, dot. All right, let's get into the free stuff. Lots of free stuff this week. And something I wanted to say as we got started, you know, one of the things about RPGs is, you know, you can spend a fortune in RPGs. You can easily spend a fortune. And you can also spend next to nothing. You can get some dice and you can spend nothing and you can game forever. It really is that way. And now most people are kind of accustomed that I think with more like D and D style OSR games where you have, you know, swords and wizardry or labyrinth Lord, a million other games that you can download the actual game for free and find all kinds of free stuff all over the place. I mean, heck I put up free stuff every week, um, more than you can have time to look at. 
You might not realize that Traveler right now is a game that you can play for free for basically forever. Okay, so with the Cepheus Engine uh, Retro Club, all right, not only can you get the full Cepheus Engine system, rest, uh, system reference document for free, but it's got four flavors of, of complexity. So you can have, you know, the ultra, you know, the fully complex Cepheus engine. It's got Cepheus Light, which despite saying the name Cepheus Light, it ain't all that light. It still builds, you know, still gets pretty complex, but it's 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 less than the Cepheus engine. Then they've got Cepheus Faster Than Light, which strips out some of the rules from Cepheus Light you might not use that often. And then if you want to go full on dead simple, there's Cepheus Quantum, two pages. Traveler in two pages. So you've got all this, and this is all, you know, you get all those for free. And, which leads me into some of the stuff I'm about to talk to now. So you got the books, what about the other stuff? Well, Freelance Traveler has been running for 10 years. They've got their new November, December 2019 zine out. Freelance Traveler, 10 years of Freelance Traveler. Unbelievable. And this is issue 96. So 96, almost 100 issues of this really high quality, you know, PDF zine supporting Traveler. So, I mean, it's more stuff than you'll ever read, ever, ever need, ever, ever use. Um, but it's fantastic. And reviews, adventures, you know, uh, fiction, everything else. So the, the brand new one of these is out over at freelance traveler, uh, com. And if you haven't checked out the other ones, like I say, I mean, it's almost a hundred issues of these going back 10 years. Unbelievable. Their first one came out back in November, 2009. And now, uh, 10 years later, we're seeing issue 96. How about that? So Anyway, it's, it's a great time to be, you know, people say it's a great time to be playing D&D. It sure is. It's also a great time to be playing Traveler. <laughs> you get some dice and you're ready to go. Uh, so more on Traveler. So congratulations to Freelance Traveler for 10 years uh, doing it. That's that's amazing. That That's a real achievement to keep something going that long. But then I'm looking over at Den of the Lizard King, okay? Uh, the home of Stella Gamma Publishing, you know, the Omar... Golan Joel is the person behind Cepheus Engine, and this is their blog, and they've got a post up, Quick and Dirty Classic Traveler Vehicle Combat Version 3. So this is an additional little kind of supplemental PDF to um, that you can supplement your Traveler games with, Quick and Dirty Classic Traveler Vehicle Combat. So you can check that out, it adds another little layer to you, uh, and I'm already seeing people in the comments uh, enjoying the rules, so... Anyway, we all owe um, Golan Joel a, a, a big thanks uh, for the, doing the Cepheus stuff, and uh, as well as Josh Peters, their collaborator on that. So, so that's great. And then, keeping with the sci-fi theme, I'm over at the Zudani base. This is another traveler blog, Zodani space. That's Z H O D A N I dot space. They talk about how they played this game Intercept, Intercept Space Combat, a com combat system for spaceships designed by Anders Backman. And so they played the game with them, and I've got a, you know, where they talk about that, and then a link over where you can download this Intercept game, the Starship Combat game, Intercept, for free, 
over at the vectormovement.com blog. And so I uh, got the links up to that. So tons of space stuff going on. So look, you got no excuse. If you ever been, <laughs> you ever, if you remember playing Traveler years and years ago, or you've always heard of it, we're always, you know, curious about it. It's all just out there for free for you. So, you know, I've done my part. <laughs> all right. Big things with small wings. The big things with small wings blog. Big things with small wings.blogspot.com. This is Strona Glauna's uh, blog, I believe. No, I'm wrong. This is Magda Kobza's blog and Wycheck Kobza's blog. Um, so they put up a post called Pulp Egypt and they're talking about this game. They're going to be running, uh, with a pulp, uh, with a pulp flavor set in this pulp Egypt setting where they found, you know, this book for, for pulp Egypt. But anyway, and while they're talking about that, they end up putting up a link to a free adventure from Chaosium that they're using called murder in the floodlights, uh, which is, you know, uh, kind of a, you know, pulp era adventure. So anyway, interesting to hear about someone's campaign. At the same time, you can download a free, now this is for basic role playing, but you know, you can use it with, you know, really any D100 system, certainly Call of Cthulhu. So check that out. Murder in the floodlight, mur sorry, murder in the footlights, I said floodlights, murder in the footlights. You can download that free. This is at big things with small wings.blogspot.com. Can see where this is going. Show's starting to teeter on the edge. All right. So last week at the an abominable fancy blog, abominablefancy.blogspot.com, I put up their uh, links. You know, a link over there where they're put. They, oh, oh no, <laughs> mouth is starting to fail. They did its five e one shot. So it was basically like a stripped down five e that you can use with new players and stuff. They said after playtesting it, they've made a second iteration of it. So this is 5e one-shot version 2, along with a, a one-sheet reference for it. So if you downloaded that last week, you can download this updated version. Or if you didn't listen to last week, now you can just download an updated version. Either way, it's updated, right? Okay, at Idle Doings of an Idle Doodler, Idle Doodler's blog idledoodler.blogspot.com. They put up Wretches and Riches, a homebrew game they've been putting friends and family through that started off as a glog hack with gradually more and more knave and black hack elements introduced, then cut out, then sewn back again, then into the odd reared its head, and apparently it's taken on some Savage World developments too. So yeah, Wretches and Riches. You can check this out over idledoodler.blogspot.com. That's a free PDF to download. Sounds like some cool influences, so check it out. And then finally, at the princes-and-pioneers.tumblr.com, late 1800s, mid-apocalyptic, American frontier, Disney, steampunk, sci-fi, fantasy, and other RPG ideas. Uh, this is Princess and Pioneer, Princesses and Pioneers version 2.0. After They say after six months after they said they were working on it, They've got a fairly complete version 2.0 of their Glog hack, formerly called Princesses and Pillagers. So Princesses and Pioneers, another free download to check it out. Let's see if I can find a name for this person. Uh, Zoeology31. 
All right. So a bunch of cool stuff this week. Uh, check it all out. And like I mentioned, uh, when I was thinking about this last night, as I was starting to put some stuff together, it really is a great time to be playing Traveler. So um, it, it's really well supported right now. And, and, you know, whereas it may have used to feel like D&D was kind of the only game you could really uh, get a lot of su free support for, it's not the case. You know, with Traveler, um, you can be, you know, get a set of dice and you can be rolling forever. All right, some miscellaneous stuff. And I've tried to record this this segment a couple times now, but I'm kind of like, for some reason, my brain and mouth are not, you know, working in unison anymore. Been working on this for a while, so I'm going to try to get through it, though. <laughs> Oh boy. All right. I'm starting over at bernietheflump.blogspot.com, Josh Burnett's blog. They've got a kind of recap of the time they had at the Dayton, Ohio convention, a catacon recently. Games they ran, games they played. Whenever somebody does a, one of these recaps of their time at a convention, I like to post them. It's fun to live vicar vicariously through someone else as they go on a go to a convention. And I thought I also might mention, although it may already be over and done with by the time you're listening to this, they've still got 48 hours on their Leopard Women of Venus Dungeon Crawl Classics Kickstarter. It's got about 48 hours left. It's already funded, so if you want to check that out, you go over to that BernieTheFlump.blogspot.com link, and it's got uh, in the margins, it's got links to that Kickstarter as well. Some 5e-related videos that I thought might be interesting for folks in the 5e. I spotted these. Uh, the first one at sageadvice.eu. They do a lot of great stuff. Links to 5e Twitter accounts and videos and stuff like that. If you're into 5e, it's a great blog to follow. Anyway, Jeremy Crawford, one of the main 5e designers, is being interviewed about all these recent Player's Handbook variants that have been coming out through Unearthed Arcana really substantial kind of revisions and class abilities for all classes. So definitely something to check out if you're interested in where 5e design is heading. And that's like an hour long interview. So, and then there were a couple of videos over at HeroPress2.blogspot.com had to do with 5e one defeat your demons with dungeons and dragons. And then one, um, why is D and D so popular again? So, uh, if you want to watch these videos, various people being interviewed uh, and, and talking about D&D. So, anyway, thought I'd share those. What else have I got for you? Uh, the Greyhawk Musings blog. David Leonard-Greyhawkmusings.blogspot.com David Leonard has started this series, The History of Oith. So, if you're into Greyhawk, you might dig this. It's really well sourced. Uh, it's got footnotes, you know, kind of uh, noting where David pulled all this information from. I mean, just looking at this one, it's everywhere from White Plume Mountain to the Oith Journal to uh, Return to White Plume Mountain. And so it, this is uh, very well researched. As of this uh, recording, they're up to the History of Oith Part 4. So if you're into Greyhawk, cool series on the History of Oith. And again, that's at... Uh, David Leonard greyhawkmusings.blogspot.com. And again, all these links are up at the Thought Eater blog. So, because uh, if I can't remember them and I'm recording it, I know you can't remember them. So, so anyway, moving right along, it's the final thing I've got on the miscellaneous front. 
Uh, Ann Hunter over at DIY and Dragons. DIYandragons.blogspot.com has a post up, Recentish Resource Management Links, late 2018. And they say around this time last year, started collecting links when people posted about resource management on their blogs and kind of forgot to post any of them. And then there were kind of too many to fit into a single post. So here's the first post of what will become in a regular series, resource management links from the role-playing blogs I read. So yeah, I mean, it's a collection of links to blogs. So I love it, Because right? <laughs> that's what this is, right? <laughs> so, you know, it's got posts about ways to solve resource tracking, a unified depletion system, stow and load encumbrance system, uh, equipment and encumbrance, alternative to counting pennies, a supply die, um, dungeon logistics and supply bundles, just a bunch of stuff. So, you know, when I think about encumbrance, you know, I always kind of start strong. It's like, okay, well, you know, all right, so let's weigh you up. Okay, all right, all right, your movement's this, okay. And by the end of it, it's like, you know, as long as it's not, you know, that huge iron, that huge bronze bell from Tegel Manor or whatever, it's like, yeah, you're, you're good. You can carry it. It's a donkey, you know. I got this cartoon up. I, I guess it's from an old Dragon magazine uh, that you all can check out at the blog related to encumbrance, but it's like, yeah, so you're carrying 40 spears, Five suits armor and a donkey. Eh, sure, why not? Let's go. <laughs> you know? I don't know. I'm exaggerating a little bit, but uh, really, if you really want to know how I do it at this point in my game, I really I look at I use the one e rules on like the bulkiness of the armor. So like you can be totally unarmored, you can be leather armor, or you can be metal armor, and that'll be that'll change your movement from twelve to nine to six. You know, six inches the way they do it. Um, uh, and I don't mess with encumbrance from coins unless it's some, you know, huge chest or whatever, and they got to figure out how to carry it or whatever. But, you know, they usually have a cart and, and some horses and stuff. So I don't get too, I don't get, you know, it, someone said if, if it's not fun, why, why bother with it? I do like a little bit of resource tracking and everything, but as far as really, you know, someone's like, uh, I like the encumbrance system of this game. It doesn't like, you know, light my fire. You know what I mean? It's something I, um, that I'll sometimes start off strong tracking. And by the end of it, like I say, it's like, all right, as long as it's not something totally huge, I'm not going to fool with it. But that's why you read some links like these, uh, list over DIY and dragons. It might teach you a simple and easy way that you haven't, that you haven't thought of before. Or, you know, just a twist on the way you're doing it that makes it uh, more fun and uh, make more sense or whatever it is. So check that out. All right, for the final topic this week, I'm calling this one croaking. Talking about death and dying, particularly in D&D. So this was prompted by a couple of posts that I saw, one over at dmdavid.com and one over at Jeff Reint's blog, J-R-I-E-N-T-S, jreintz.blogspot.com. So DM David's post is, How Character Death Lands D&D in a Tug of War Between Game and Story. And they start talking about the threat of death making the game exciting, but actual death bringing a character's story to an unsatisfying end that can disrupt a campaign. 
And this is a really good post, actually. I really enjoy DM David's writing, and uh, they they work a lot of different quotations and history of the game into this post, so it's definitely well worth reading. And um, they start off by mentioning that when characters without characters facing the potential of dying, the game lacks tension and stakes. And they quote Gary Gygax, uh, as they say, at his crankiest. It says, how I detest namby-pamby whiners that expect to play a real RPG without threat of character death or loss of a level, stat points, or even choice magical items. Without such possibilities, what is the purpose of play? And uh, they talk about how they enjoy tournament plays where long odds make casualties almost inevitable, but dying just means dropping out of a session rather than kind of, you know, just, you know, you're a character that you may have been playing to higher levels for a long time, losing that investment and everything. And talk about character deaths, hurting campaigns, uh, you know, taking away connection of characters in a party, um, you know, and how it can be sometimes bringing new characters into play. And they go a little bit through history of D&D, going from original Blackmore with a single hit killing a character, and then a quote from Arneson saying that it didn't take long for players to get attached to their characters. And by the time AD&D came out, you had characters uh, dying at minus 10 hit points. Uh, then it goes into a little bit about Raise Dead and Resurrection spells, various editions, how they treat it. And they say in modern D&D, only new characters typically die. And they even say that 5th edition's forgiving rules for character deaths make characters above 4th level just about impossible to kill, which is true. Um... So anyway, it raises some questions, right? Because the threat's got to be there, you know. Should be consequences for player actions, but at the same time, it can affect. Uh, it can have a bad effect on a game, you know. And I'll get into that a little bit. So anyway, that's over at dmdavid.com. Then over at. Jeff's game blog, the post is called Old School PC Fragility. And it starts off showing a tweet from FM Geist who came up on the program last week. And she says, Unpopular old school opinion is actually more in coherence with older games than most grognards. Killing characters just wastes time most of the time and is utterly pointless. The world is not immersive if there's an endless churn of barely there PCs. Now Jeff counters a little bit saying that they like the razor sharp nonsense players come up with when they only have a hit point or two to the name but sometimes folks don't want to play such feeble characters and they come up with a salute couple of solutions one of which is just starting at higher level which i know i've done many times and then they had a new idea which is sort of like a death save if you die you roll a d6 and if you roll over your level you can come back but you might suffer a debilitating injury, sacrifice some piece of equipment, or what have you. So, pretty cool house rule there. I like that. So, yeah, death and dying. It's kind of uncomfortable to talk about, almost a little bit, like real-life death and dying, you know? Um, but we've all been there as GMs, you know, killing <laughs> killing characters. And um, we've all been there as players, you know? Nobody. I mean, I guess it depends on the tone of your game and everything, but... There's certainly been times when I've not wanted my character to die, but it, it happens. So I guess I'd start by saying, you know, this is really talking about D&D, &D, obviously, because other games, 
it, it, they treat it a lot differently, you know what I mean? So it, like one of my favorites of all time is Call of Cthulhu, and, and you go into that game knowing that, you know, not only is is death likely, you know, not only are you going to face, you know, impossible odds, but um, even if you do survive, your, your sanity slowly slips away. So it's kind of built into the game. You know, it really is about the story and, and the, the, your, your character um, is not expected to live forever and build some great magical, you know, some great castle. You know, there's no, there's no uh, stronghold building in Call of Cthulhu, you know what I mean? Um, but even other games, like I'm, I'm running Savage Worlds now, and it's less about, it's certainly possible to die. But what's more likely is it's instead of life or death, it's life or sucking, you know, it's life or being wounded when you're wounded, that makes you less effective at everything. Right. Whereas in D and D, you know, aside from some conditions and things like that, you, you hit just as hard with your sword. If you've got 40 hit points, if you have five hit points, you know, the wounds don't really they don't even treat it like it, it, it's wounds. It's a combination. Your hit points are a combination of things, more of a concept than actual physical, just straight up physical damage. And so it's only once you're down that, uh, that this stuff really affects you. Now, fourth edition tried to play around a little bit with a bloodied condition where if you're under half your hit points, there could be certain classes where some things were triggered or certain monsters, but it's, I'm not a fifth edition expert. They may have snuck that onto a few monsters here and there, but as far, you know, I don't believe that's a, you know, it's certainly not a, a major concept in 5e. So aside from 4e playing with it a little bit, you know, by and large, as long as you're up and your DM hasn't house ruled some wound, you know, some, some permanent disfigurement or you know use some critical injury lingering injury table or some an added on thing like that it makes no difference how many hit points you have as long as you have hit points um so the way i usually anybody that's listened to me talk about my night below game kind of knows how i do it i i'm i don't play it i wouldn't say i play it super soft but I don't play it straight up cruel either, you know. I usually, I don't mess with negative hit points, but if someone's down at zero, and as long as they haven't been, you know, cut in half or thrown in lava or burnt to death or anything like that, uh, I'll let a, a clerical healing or someone pour in a potion in their mouth or whatever, a little magical healing, will bring them back, you know. And even with that rule, and some people might be like, oh, that's pretty generous. Well, I ain't that generous because I still have t tons of people dying. So, um, and I, I have to say, when uh, DM David was talking about how it can affect a campaign, uh, David didn't get into how it's affected my campaign. You know, other ways that it can derail a campaign is, you know, I'm trying to get to the end of this box set, <laughs> you know, and it's... Uh, uh, you're trying to get to 10th level, and if, if you've got people having to start over, even start at just a slightly lower level, it, it delays all that. And so there's times when I'm just, you know, I don't know if anybody else has been there where I'm like, God, I hope they don't die. I hope they don't die today, you know. I, want, I don't want them to die. 
Now, at the same time, I want death, you know, the threat of death to be there, but from consequences of player actions more so than just, you know, random events. Nobody likes to just say, okay, well, you stepped in the pit, you're dead, you know. Now, certainly, you want people to be cautious and everything, but you would like there to be a little bit of consequence, you know, it, it to be a result of their actions or inaction that it comes rather than just pure whim and chance and that kind of thing. Because that's just not as fun. It takes the skill away, right? But at the same time, if you don't have the threat of death, if, if, if you make it too too easy and everything, you know, you can have a player, you know, banging their head in the door like daring you to, to kill them. Look at me, DM, you know? I don't know. I mean, you're not going to see anything like that, but you know what I mean? If there's no threat of it, uh, they're not going to be cautious at all. You know, they're going to do whatever they want to do. Now, some with, with 5e, there are certain things you can quickly house rule to take away some of it. You know, the overnight healing, I mean, that's... Full overnight healing every night, I mean, is a lot. So, you know, and that's regardless of your level. So, you know, that's a lot. That was the first thing I house ruled out. But and we had some deaths and everything, too. So maybe that's just a, a simple way that people can get around a little bit of that. But now, there are some GMs I've played with and you know, that will think all this is just anathema and, 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 you know, not, not only is death part of the game, but, you know, save or die. I, I usually do save or drop to zero. You know what I mean? Cause I mean, cause dropping to zero in my game can maybe get you back, but you know, you'll have some that are kind of, you know, hard edged, hard nosed about it. And that's fine, but then you ask them, hey, have you ever played a high-level D&D campaign? They're like, nah, we never made it past fourth level, <laughs> you know? So, <laughs> if you, you're, you're welcome to, to, to play where, where life is really cheap and everything, but are, are the characters ever, you know, are you ever getting to high levels? Have you ever seen a dragon in your game? Um, have you ever, you know, played a high-level adventure? Um you know, or is it just constant, uh, you know, and, and, and Reince mentions this a little bit. They say, they say, yeah, when they're talking about starting people at a little bit higher level as a solution to the, you know, constant death or may, or make it too easy to die. They say, obviously this robs the game of the initial rat killing ogre fling terrors, but we had a lot of fun this way. So, you know, there is something to be said about that low level fragile play and being careful. And, and, and I get all that too, but at the same time, nobody wants to just be killing rats forever, you know? So, um, so anyway, I didn't have a ton of stuff prepared to talk about with this, but, uh, these were very interesting posts to think about and contemplate at jreens.blogspot.com and dmdavid.com. And I'd love to hear your death and dying rules or your experience with it or another game besides D&D &D that you like the way it's handled, or anything on the subject. Uh, am I being too easy? Am I being too too tough? What's the balance there? You know what I mean. Those kind of, those kind of uh, discussions would be interesting to me. You can leave me a message, or, uh, well, I'll get to that next. 
All right, so this is an absurd amount of show. I, I know it was. I knew it was going to be like this when I, but I, there was so much good stuff. You know, it is what it is. I didn't want to cut out any more than I already did. I, I like sharing this stuff, and it's funny. Pete Jones from the Dragons Are Real podcast turned me on to Antenna Pod app today uh, for podcasts, and it's got where you can speed up the podcast like one and a half or two, or two times even, and. Uh, I was thinking probably half the people that listen to this podcast are listening to me like, and you go to elfmaidsandoctopi.blogspot.com, check this out. Uh, because I know it's a lot, but I mean, it's a lot of awesome stuff and that's what the show is. So you either like it or you don't, you know, I can't, I, some, I try to keep these things under an hour, but you know, I knew this one's probably the longest one there's ever been, but what, what can I say? That's what the show is. Uh, you can break it up or hopefully enjoy it. I hope you enjoy it. If you don't, it is what it is. Um, but I know it's long. I know it's long. So I really pre do appreciate folks listening to it because I know it's kind of a commitment to listen to it. Hopefully I'm bringing you some quality stuff to look at and listen to every week. And, um, but anyway, I just want to, again, thanks, uh, thank listeners. Thank all these awesome bloggers. Thank Frank T for backing the uh, podcast and, and supporting the map segment there. Uh, don't forget patreon.com forward slash Frank T. I want to thank folks backing me on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash thought eater. If you like the stuff that I'm putting out for you every week, you want to support me with a dollar a month. You go to patreon.com forward slash thought eater. It's just a dollar a month. So other ways you can sort support the program, put the Thought Eater blog, frothsofdnd.blogspot.com on your blog roll, or just tell other people about the show, like it, share it on social media, etc., etc. Anyway, next you're going to hear from me, let's see, Friday I'm thinking about doing that Willie the Wizard compilation, just slap together the first nine episodes so it's all in one episode. That, that could be just a quick and easy thing to do. Uh, probably need a little break after this my throat's still a little bit sore from screaming at the football game last weekend but on a positive note another positive note i'm going to be running my froth university savage worlds 1980s horror comedy game this weekend playing saturday night so sunday i'll have session two session two recap up from that it's going to be a lot of fun if you want to go ahead and, you know, get caught up with that, there's only been one session so far. So you go back a couple of weeks, check out that Froth University session one, and you'll be all ready to follow along with us this weekend. So I'm looking forward to that. Other than that, I think that's everything. I, if you, oh, you can participate in this show. I love getting voicemails, so it's really easy to do. If you're using the Anchor app, you can just leave me a message there. If you're looking at this podcast on my anchor page, the main anchor page that I link over at the Thought Eater blog, you there's a little button there that says message. And if you have a microphone hooked up to your computer or what have you, all you do is press the button and you can leave me a message and be part of the show. So I really appreciate folks for calling in. You made the show better. And so if you have any comments, questions about anything we talked about today, especially the death and dying stuff. I'd love to hear from some people on that, but anything we talked about today, leave me a message and I'll put you on the show. That's all I got. Logan, make it stop. Sickly platypus, a psychic grenade. Zeroing in on your mental trade. Gonna help you escape from the grind. 
Thought Eater gonna blow your mind. Boom, 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 boom,